0: If you would turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke 15, page 1039. Luke 15. Start at first one. and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Billy Graham tells a story about a, an old bag lady that was saved during one of his uh, crusades. At the end of the service, as was the practice of Billy Graham, he instructed all the new believers to find a local church that they might become part of, that they might attend. The woman, not knowing really where to go or not really knowing anything about churches, picked the church that was down the street from her, a huge imposing stone building that apparently contained all the who's who's of the city. When the woman entered the church, she was overwhelmed by the beauty of the entire church, but especially all the artwork in the the foyer and in the sanctuary. And she was also just amazed at the sound of the organ and and the choir that, that sang up front. When the pastor began preaching, he spoke with such elegance. She thought if only all her friends were there, he would have inspired every one of them. She was so overcome with excitement and emotion that at one point during the sermon, the old woman said quite loudly, Praise you, Jesus. But immediately after she said that, one of the deacons of the church approached her and asked her if she would follow him into the foyer. The woman, embarrassed, explained she had just found the Lord and was new to church, and actually this was the first church she had ever attended. The old crusty deacon simply replied, Well, madam, you didn't find him here. Ow! What do you think was going on in that deacon's mind? Well, I'm sure he was glad that this woman was there in church. Yet in his mind, the comfort of the rest of the congregation, it was more important than just the feelings of this one woman. And when he saw her actions disrupting the larger group, in his mind, this woman had to go. Now if there had been an insurance company in charge of this church, they would have probably got out the actuarial tables, would have concluded that it's better to focus on the 99 than just on the one, because there's a lot more to lose with the 99. Or if you're a Trekkie fan, what would Spock have said at a time like this? The needs. (sighs) Come on. I'm not the only one that likes Spock. (laughs) The needs of the many. Yes, outweighs the needs of the few or or the one. But Jesus, in our parable, he, he turns the thinking upside down. Luke 15 is a chapter that I'm sure... Most of you are, are familiar with, each section kind of builds on itself and, and, and it's got a, an incredible message. In each, the, the, the lost were found and uh, there's a time of celebration afterwards. That all three parables are similar in theme and message I, I think is, is a heads up. That what Jesus is talking about is important. Because remember, whenever Jesus repeated things, when he said, truly, truly, I say unto you, that was a clue for the disciples and everyone who were listening, pay attention, what I'm about to say is really important. And when he told a story, actually three of them that were very similar in theme right in a row, again, that's a clue to us, what he's about to say is very important. So pay attention. Another clue we have that this is very important to God is that at the end of each of the parables in in chapter 15, it says that there was great rejoicing and celebrating in heaven that a sinner who was lost had been found and had returned home. But really, does this make sense to you? I mean, how could the shepherd leave the 99 in order to look for just that one sheep? Who did he leave the 99 with? We're not told. He could have just left them in open country as he went to search for that that one lost sheep. In our minds, it really doesn't make sense. I mean, he should have got someone to watch the flock first. And who knows how long he's going to be gone. He might be gone a couple hours. He might be gone a couple days looking for this lost sheep. Wouldn't it have been better for the shepherd to just count his losses and say, hey, I've got 99, I'm content with that I hope I find the one but I'm not going to go out of my way looking for him our text tells us that Jesus is telling the story to the Jewish religious leaders the Jewish religious leaders the teachers of the law the Pharisees that group of people and in this interchange with Jesus this group they're criticizing him for one, eating with sinners and tax collectors, about the lowest people that they could think of, but even more than that, allowing these people to sit in on his teachings. Because uh, any good, respectable rabbi would never allow that, these sinners to sit at his feet and listen as, as he taught. See, these religious leaders, they, uh, they were fond of putting people into categories. They believed that God, he loved people, but there were some he just didn't like. There were some, because of their sin, he just didn't care for, and he wanted nothing to do with them. And so for the Pharisees and these religious teachers, they thought, well, if God doesn't want anything to do with them, then why should we? We're not even going to bother with them. We're not even going to think about them. But Jesus comes along and tells this parable that really turns their beliefs On top of itself. The very thing you think is worthless, Jesus says, in God's eyes, is so important. The parable was Jesus' way of telling the Pharisees and teachers of the law that everyone is important in God's eyes. Everyone. Even the casting of the shepherds as the main characters in the story. That really was a brilliant move on on Jesus' part because He was making the Pharisees and these teachers of the law put their feet in the shepherds' shoes. And you've got to remember, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they didn't think much of shepherds either. They were right there down at the bottom. I mean, back then, a shepherd wasn't even allowed to give their testimony in a court of law because they didn't think that shepherds could be honest enough for this. It just goes to show you the low opinion that they had of of shepherds. And and suddenly Jesus puts these this group of of teachers in the shoes of shepherds. So they had no choice, but at least for this parable, to think of themselves as these despised shepherds in their in their eyes. For the Pharisees, teachers of the law, it would have been a shock to them to hear a shepherd as the main hero of a story. But again, Jesus is turning things upside down. And he's showing them that their attitudes are very judgmental. And and they've got to open their eyes and, and start seeing people around them as God does. And the first thing Jesus was showing them was that God was interested in the least and the lost. Jesus was showing them that God is interested in the least and the lost. In verse 1, we're told that the tax collectors and sinners that gathered around Jesus not only ate with him, but they were in fellowship with him. Why were they so attracted to him? Well, I think clearly, and we have saw this before, Jesus had this unconditional love that he showed those around him, that he showed people. He showed them that each of them were precious in God's eyes, and he took the time to spend with them. People didn't feel like they had to wear masks around Jesus, but they could take them off and just be themselves. I always have to laugh when I have to fly somewhere, even when uh, I flew to uh, Minneapolis for that pastor's conference back in, in February. It never fails. You sit next to somebody, and after you're done talking about the sports and the weather and the little chit-chat that you know, people always talk about on planes, they always ask me that one question. What do you think it is? What do you do for a living? Oh, I hate that question. Because as soon as I, I tell them what I do for a living, then everything changes. Either the person is a Christian and, and they say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian too, and they're happy about it. Or all of a sudden they sit up really straight in their seats and you know they adjust themselves and they go, yeah, you know, I, I live a pretty good life. I, I do a lot. You know, I do a lot of volunteering in, in my neighborhood. And all of a sudden they, they start trying to get me to believe how good they are. I didn't say anything to them. I I never doubted them for one minute. But suddenly, because they were sitting next to a pastor, it's like they feel like they got to put this mask on and try to impress me. Where does that come from? And I think that's true for the church itself. I mean, we run into that problem a lot, and, and the reason we run into that is because have we been too judgmental in the past? of those that wander into the church or those that meet us. Instead of just loving people and being welcoming and inviting them to church, maybe we're a little too judgmental, too quick to point our finger, forgetting that when we point, there's three fingers pointing right back at us. I think this is a common reaction to Christians. Christians. They think Christianity is for the good people, for the good people. And I think Christians after a while start thinking, well, yeah, that's the reason God saved us is because, yeah, we really are a little bit better than those around us. But as soon as we say that, we forget we're all sinners. We're all sitting in the same boat. We need a Savior. We need someone to rescue us, which is what Christ did. So let me pose a question to you. Are you welcoming of the lost around you? Are you welcoming of the lost around you? Would anyone ever accuse you of welcoming sinners and eating with them like they did to Jesus? Would they accuse you of that? What if someone came to our church who you knew was a drunk and verbally abused their wife? Could you love them? Would you talk to them after church? What if somebody came to church and their hair was pink and purple? Would you talk to them afterwards? Would you invite them home for lunch? Or what if somebody was sitting here who you knew was gay, had piercings all over? Would you invite them home? Would you love them? Now, when I say this, I'm not saying that we love their sin, I'm not talking about that at all. I mean, we hate sin. God hates sin, period. But would you love the person like Jesus loves them? Would you welcome them and let them know that they too have a place here in our midst? Since Jesus knew what the Pharisees and teachers of the law were thinking, he tells them three parables. And so that first one, 100 sheep, one gets lost and so the shepherd goes to look for that sheep. And then after he finds that sheep, he joyfully puts them on his shoulders and and he walks back, he walks back home. Now we've talked about sheep before. I'm sure I could get Tim to come up here, maybe some of you others, and, and you could give a testimonial about sheep. They're stinky. They're, they're not real bright. You know, we we read those words that the shepherd held him across his shoulders. And and think about that. I mean, this sheep could have been dirty. It could have been full of cockle burrs. It might have had a bunch of bugs. It could have had ticks. And yet he lovingly puts it across his neck, over his shoulders, and he carries it. How long did he carry it? Well, if it was just an hour or two, that would have been great, but he could have been walking all day. And so to have that smelly sheep on your shoulders... Must have worn him out. And yet he lovingly, he joyfully did it because he loved his sheep. He cared for them. Now when some of my chickens have gotten out in the past and they hide and I have to spend 15, 20 minutes looking for them, I chase them back home and then I chase them around and around the chicken coop trying to get him to go into the outside pen. Now I want you to know, when I'm chasing those chickens, I'm not feeling very loving toward them at all. In fact, if I would catch one of those chickens, I'd probably pluck all his feathers out while he was still alive. That's the feeling I have. Now that's totally different than what our shepherd is doing here. We're told that he lovingly finds the sheep and he carries them home. And then he rejoices and he invites his friends and family to come. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of that imagery of of Jesus as being our good shepherd. The shepherd who carries the sheep on his shoulders, he carried the cross and he carried it to Calvary. And there he died for our sins. Out of his love for you and me, he, he was willing to put us first Before himself, before his needs, before his wants, his desires. Out of his love for you and me, just like a shepherd would carry that sheep. What what have we done to deserve it? What did that sheep do to deserve it? Nothing. And that's the amazing good news about this story. Unconditional love. Amazing grace. God's tender mercy. We could go on and on and on about it. Is this how we search for the lost? Is this our passion? Are we willing to give up sleep, food, in order to reach someone that the Lord has brought into your life? Are you willing to get your hands dirty? Because it gets messy sometimes when you're helping those who are struggling in sin. It gets messy. Is it worth it, though? You bet it is. As we'll find out in in just a minute. I love that I love that scene in in, uh, the Western Tombstone at the very end when, when Wyatt Earp is visiting Doc Holliday in the sanatorium. You might remember the words that Doc Holliday said to Wyatt. Wyatt, you're the only person in all my life that ever gave me hope. You're the only person in all my life that ever gave me hope. Now the kind of hope that Wyatt gave Doc Holliday was an earthly comfort, obviously, but think if we were willing to do that as God's children and offered that eternal hope and comfort to those around us, to, the Lord, to those the Lord has brought into your life. They're there for a reason. It's not by chance. Nothing happens by chance. And so that you meet certain people, it's for a reason. What does God have planned? What does he want you to do? Do you love that person enough to be willing to tell them about Jesus? enough to point their eyes home. It's like the Samaritan woman, despised, rejected by the Jews because she was a Samaritan, she was a woman. And yet Jesus loved her and showed her that she was important, that she was valued in God's eyes. And because of this, we're told that she found salvation that day. And not only her, but she went back into her village and started telling everyone. And so much of the village became saved. What made that possible? Because Jesus loved that woman. And that's what God calls us to do. The results, that's up to Jesus. He's going to save who he saves, but we've got to be faithful in in offering that salvation to those around us. Because we are the mouth, the hands and feet, the voice of God. And then secondly, God rejoices at the least and the lost are found. We see that over and over in this chapter. We only read the first parable, but again, that theme happens over and over. There was great rejoicing in heaven among the angels. There's great rejoicing in heaven. What are the angels reflecting? They're reflecting the joy of God, our Heavenly Father. That's the joy they're reflecting is is that our joy as well? You know this past week, I lost my cell phone. I got home and I started looking for it, and i 've got a lot of important numbers and names on my cell phone and so I started looking for it. I, I went through the house i couldn 't find it. I just come back from breakfast at the restaurant, so I went back to the restaurant wasn 't there came back home and it 's like, Lord, where is my phone i mean there's not, there wasn 't a whole lot of places that I had gone to in since I had gotten up, and suddenly the Lord put it on my, on my mind to check Noah's room. And so I did check Noah's room, and there was my phone sitting in his room. But I'm telling you, when after I found that phone and I sat down and started drinking my coffee again, I felt such relief. I think I felt a little joy. I felt glad. I was glad that my wife was sitting there spending some time with me. And I completely forgot about another appointment that I had, and so then I had to rush out the door to that appointment, but that's the kind of joy that our Father has when the lost are found. When they return home. He celebrates, just as all of heaven celebrates with the angels, the return of that lost child. That he's become a child of God, that he's been forgiven, that he's been washed in the blood of Jesus. That's how God feels about the lost. Jesus loves the lost with abandon. Look at the great extent that he was willing to go in order to take our sins away. He was willing to go to the cross. That's how much he loved us. And there's great rejoicing in heaven when those lost are found. It doesn't say that there's great rejoicing in heaven if you have a great big building. It doesn't say there's rejoicing in heaven when you've got lots and lots of programs and there's four hundred people sitting in your Bible study. It never says that heaven celebrates for that. But you know what it does say heaven celebrates? When the lost are found. When people will call on the name of Jesus. And they're saved. What is in life that really gets you excited? What would give you the greatest joy imaginable? What would it take for you to grin and jump around and dance and shout, hee haw? I don't think I've ever done that, but hee haw. If you want true, lasting joy, we need to celebrate what heaven celebrates, don't we? There is a source of joy that we can tie into, that we can be connected to. We have to have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and we need to open our eyes and see the lost around us. Jesus says in John four thirty five, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest the harvest is plentiful all around us. Open your eyes and see it. But then he says, but the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We need to ask God to fill us with a shepherd's heart. That we might have a desire just like the shepherd to go out and find the lost around us. And when we're willing to do that, it's clear. We can share in that joy, that joy that makes heaven erupt and party. We can share in that same joy. And so the next time you find someone hurting and broken and lost, will you treat them like the Pharisees and the teachers teachers of the law did, kind of reject them? Or will you celebrate them and love them like Jesus did, like our shepherd? Will you show them how valuable they are in the eyes of God? You know, we get excited about so many things. I know a lot of people have been really excited about basketball, college basketball, Sweet 16, or whatever all that is. I don't watch it. Sorry. I watch football, but I, I, I don't watch basketball. We get excited about a lot of things, and and, and rightfully so. Our kids graduating, getting a promotion at work, getting a new house, you fill in the blank. But if you want lasting joy, eternal joy, it's not going to be found here on earth. It's found only in heaven. It's found in the kingdom of God and the things of God. If you want to know that joy, an eternal joy, then we need to love the lost around us just as Jesus does. In the coming months, who will accuse you of welcoming sinners and eating with them? Who will accuse you of that? I pray that your accusers will be many and that your joy will overflow. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that, Jesus, you were willing to go out and find that one lost sheep you were willing to find us. Thank you, Lord, for not treating us as our sins deserve, but showing us love and compassion and mercy and grace. And, Father, that same joy that fills heaven when the lost are found, may that joy fill our hearts and our lives. and. So we know if that's going to happen, then we too need to love the lost around us. And so, Lord, open our eyes. May we not sit, especially when we see people in need, people hurting, people who just need your arms of love wrapped around them. Father, may we willing, may we be willing to be your hands and feet and your voice. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Come now fount of every blessing, let's stand and sing.